0: A Podcast One Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, the founder of Future Women, a club to connect, learn, and lead. As female leaders, we are often credited with high EQ. But is this always a good thing? The founder of My Budget, a multi-million dollar business, Tammy Barton, says it absolutely is. In this episode, Tammy tells you how to take advantage of these skills and why being perfect is the enemy of great. Here's Tammy. So what is actually well known is that there's a gender pay gap. Women make about 80 cents for every dollar that a man earns. But what is actually less well known is that there is a gender investment gap. So when women owners or founders or co-founders pitch their ideas to early stage investors for capital to VCs, they receive significantly less. On average, about a million dollars less than men. I don't know how many people in the room were aware of that. There's some some people who are aware. Businesses that are actually founded by women, though, actually return a better investment for their men. Um, More than twice as much per dollar invested So um, women-owned companies are better investments for financial backers. For every dollar of funding, women-founded startups generate 78 cents, while male-founded startups generate less than that, 31 cents. So if there are any investors in the room or any VCs, I would be trying to find these women-founded businesses because they are actually a better investment. So why are businesses that are founded by women a better investment? Well, I thought long and hard about this, and I actually thought about myself. Most women won't pitch an idea unless they're pretty certain it's going to be successful. I know that myself, I wouldn't want to take someone's money if I wasn't pretty certain that I was going to be able to provide a return for that investor, and I think that's the difference between men and women, is that women, I have to tick all the boxes, I have to. I'm not 100% sure if I can do this, so maybe I won't take their money. and um, and that's, that's one of the big things that I've noticed in the networks that I'm in with the women founded and co-founded businesses. Women also really tend to understand their product and their service, especially when they're starting out, when they're founding these, these businesses. They're not necessarily looking at an idea or an opportunity and thinking, there's a chance for me to make money. I see a gap in the market, I can make money money there. They're generally very connected to their product or their service, they're connected with the why and they're looking long term at why they wanna start this business. And for me in particular, when I started my business, I didn't look at the opportunity and think, oh wow, there's an opportunity there to make money or there's an opportunity to be the Telstra businesswoman businesswoman, um, or be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant. I actually just started the business purely and simply because I wanted to help people. I saw the impact that financial stress was having on people's lives. And I imagined this world that we could live in where money troubles no longer destroyed relationships. They no longer destroyed families. And yes, I was putting budgets together for people and solving some of their financial problems and helping keep them on track to achieving their financial goals. But actually, what I was really doing is helping to them to live a bit of life, a life where they don't have to worry about money. I, I had clients coming and saying to me, Thanks for sorting out my finances. My husband and I no longer fight about money. Or, you know, my wife and I, we've got our sex life back. This is what I was actually selling. This was the benefit I was getting. And I was very, very connected to that and very connected to the vision of wanting to live in a community where money troubles are not impacting people's relationships and not impacting and destroying families. So women founders seem to be very connected to the why. And then they focus on the how and the what. So over my time, um, I started the business 20 years ago, Uh, we're now actually close to 300 employees. Um, We have 70% women working at my budget and 30% men. However, when I first started, about the first 25 employees were female. Um, so it was very interesting when I started to employ men and I noticed some of the differences in behaviours, the way that there was different behaviours in meetings and I, and I realised that it was important for me to acknowledge the differences and also in certain times adjust, um, adjust my leadership style. So in my experience this is what I found with men. They were more likely to put their hand up for opportunities and they would dive right into solving problems and they would be very factual about this. And they were also prepared to take more risks, more risks within the the company, within their own career. Um, It was just something that I was seeing. I also noticed that they were judging their performance better than what it actually was. (laughs) So every six months we do performance reviews. at. my budget, and we hold um, a session where we compare, you know, what everyone has rated each other and what the managers have rated versus what the employee have rated themselves. And um, what I noticed was a lot of the men. Were rating themselves higher than what the manager had rated them, and a lot of the women were actually rating themselves lower than what their manager had rated them. These were just some little things that I was I was picking up. Um, they would also make bold um, projections and assumptions. Oh, we can hit this number and hit this target. And I would be showing the detail, where's the plan? Versus, in contrast, uh, some of the women in my team, and they'd quite often uh, oversell themselves in their ability to do the job. In contrast. The women that I was leading were more likely to be conservative in their projections, wanted to put forward numbers that they knew were achievable and that they could hit Um, and they really took the time to understand our product and our service and the way what we were doing was impacting our clients and had a real connection to that and were also less likely to put their hand up for key roles. I do not know, there's countless times in my career, in 20 years at my budget, where I've had to encourage women to take the next step in their career and, and step up to a leadership role. Um, there's, there's a particular story, and I'll talk about that in a minute, with someone I'm mentoring at the moment who I've done exactly that and encouraged to step up and, um, and take, a, take a leadership role in our technology team. I also noticed that women tend to pick up those non-verbal clues. So in a meeting, things get said, and sometimes you can hear stuff there's not being said. And I find that with women, there's some things that we don't have to say and we just get it. But I find with men, they're not picking up those nonverbal clues, we have to be a lot more direct with what I'm asking or what we're looking for. Um, Women tend to talk through problems, are more intuitive and more detail orientated. So the differences between men and women we have to acknowledge. Okay, we do think differently. Now there's neither wrong or right, but we have to acknowledge that there are differences. And different is good. It's why we want to have both men and women on our teams to leverage each other's strengths. And it doesn't mean that men and women aren't equal. It just means that we are different and we should acknowledge that and particularly as leaders in the room. We should acknowledge those those differences because men and women together, working together, promote success for everyone. So the importance of just this adjusting leadership style. I do believe that the principles are fundamentally the same across men and women, but there are just certain times where you might need to adjust the way in which you approach things or the way you set up a project. Um, for example, with some of the, the men on my executive team, I really have to ask them, do you need help from me? How can I help? What can I do? As opposed to their female counterparts. There's been many a time where I've noticed that the men, and this could be particularly at my budget, they're looking ahead in the future and they're running so fast that they're not realising, not looking down and realising they're tripping over some potholes. So it's just about acknowledging that and picking that stuff up and coaching them through that. And of course, the alpha male. I've been in countless meetings um, where I've noticed a difference when I've had men join the executive team when all of a sudden it becomes this, I'm right, this alpha male thing just starts taking over the room. And it just is something that I've had to acknowledge and just adjust the way I handle myself in those situations and in those meetings. And again, in contrast with women, as I mentioned, I've, I've always, always made it a point to select women who are not putting their hand up and say, you've actually got the skills to do this job. And as I mentioned, there's someone I'm mentoring in the technology team at the moment, who during one of our mentoring sessions said to me, this is opportunity that's been presented to me, but there's about these three things that I can't do in this role, and I'm not sure I don't have the experience, but she could do the other 20 things in the list. And um, I said to her, take this role. And she's been running with that role now for almost three months, and she's doing brilliantly in it. But I said to her, we have to, as women, catch ourselves when we think these things about ourselves. Um, And we have to catch it, acknowledge it and be, okay, these are the three things where I might not have all the experience, but I tell you, you have the support around you to help you with those things. So, how can we take advantage of being a female? My mum and dad had me when they were quite young. Uh, my mum was 16, my dad was 19. By the time my mum was 25, she had um, four kids. So when my mum was pregnant um, with number three, with um, my, my brother, my dad, because I would had myself and then my other sister, Kelly. So he had two girls and he's like, I just really hope this is a boy. Please be a boy, please be a boy. I can't wait to go kick the footy and play cricket. Please be a boy. And then when my brother was born, there was something not quite right. And as it turned out, he has a severe disability, Angelman syndrome. He was first diagnosed with autism when he was two, and then when he was six, he was diagnosed with autism, uh, Angelman syndrome. And my dad, from that moment, from the moment he realised something wasn't quite right with Josh, he was saying, I can't believe, I was saying, all I want is a son, when all I really wanted was a healthy child. And so he has three daughters, three healthy daughters. He said, I've got three healthy daughters, and I want you girls to know, You can do anything that boys can do. I'm a builder, you want to be a builder, you can be a builder. You want to play football, you play football. My dad coached me through basketball well into my mid-30s when I was playing senior women. He was my biggest supporter. He was the one telling me I could do anything that I wanted to, regardless of my gender. So I always tried to look at what ways can I make being a female an advantage and not a disadvantage. And what I was seeing 20 years ago, and still today, is that a lot of people were making financial decisions based on emotion, not logic. No one else was really seeing that or picking that up. Finance especially 20 years ago was a male dominated industry. And they were thinking that people were making decisions based on fact, I can afford this car. I can't afford this car. But what people were really doing is going, well, the Joneses down the road just bought a new car and they put an extension, so now I want to buy a car. They weren't looking at why they were making these decisions. And most money decisions are actually made based off emotion. And I saw, I had that emotion and and the way that some people were making financial decisions was actually impacting people's lives and relationships. And my male counterparts were not seeing that at all. If you think back 20 years ago, it was very much that that bank manager sit behind a desk, yes, your loan's approved, no, your loan's not. Whereas you come into a, my budget office, we've got round tables and it's collaborative, I'm here, I'm your partner. I was able to get people to open up to me and talk about their finances and set them on a road to, to being financially healthy and achieving their goals. And I'm a big believer that if you can get your finances sorted, it'll go a long way towards your life working out the way you want it to. And that was the thing that I was seeing. That was what made me a little different. And I'm not saying necessarily that it was my female intuition, but I certainly think that that played a big part to help me see something that other people weren't seeing. Um, I also noticed in the media there was a lot of commentary happening from older men in finance talking about shares and talking about what's happening in the market. There wasn't really too many people positioning themselves as someone that you could talk to about what's happening at the coalface. What does the rising cost of electricity mean for people? What does it mean for their hip pockets? How is this impacting them? So I saw that as an opportunity to be something a little different and start speaking in the media about finances in a completely different way to my male counterparts. I think being a female has also afforded me the luxury of attracting top female talent. And I'm going to use a specific example here in the technology industry. So, the um, industry standard internationally is 15% women in technology, 15% females. Australia is actually doing pretty well on the the world stage. We have 28% of women in technology teams in Australia, but at my budget we actually have 50% women in our technology team and that spans across all of the roles from software developers, engineers product people, BAs, etc. 50% women, which is something I'm very proud of. And I think the fact that I'm, it's a female-founded and female-led company, that has afforded me the luxury of being able to attract this top female talent into my business. I'm not sure about you guys, but I haven't really heard of too many men's awards for such and such men's awards. So it is an advantage to us. It is something that we can take advantage of to be involved, say, for example, in the Telstra Business Women's Awards. I was first involved in 2007. I can tell you I'd never networked. I didn't even know what networking was. I was like, what's the point of it? We can just have a glass of wine anywhere. I didn't really get the benefit of building these strong female networks. I'd always been head down, bum up, do, do as much as I can to keep my business going and help my clients soundtrack. That was really what my focus was. So I entered these um, uh, Telstra Business Women's Awards and I can tell you that I've made some of my best friends and I have got an amazing network of women around me who are in very sim- similar circumstances to me that I can talk to them about my business and struggles professionally, personally. It was amazing. And like I said, there's not too many men's awards going around, so we should take advantage of that. The following year I got nominated um, to go into the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. Of course, being a female, what's the first thing I thought, you mean I have to compete against the men? I'm not just competing against 50% of the population, oh my god, um, this, is, this is very stressful, how am I going, I'm definitely not going to win, you know, I'm the only female finalist. And lo and behold, I won. And I look back at that now and I didn't even know at that time that self-talk that I was doing and now 10 years, like well, a little over 10 years later, I'm really aware when that happens because I can't make it go away altogether. You know, I just, it's just not something that I can do and I think women can do. But for me, it's been about catching that self-talk and understanding that I've had it, I've had it for the last 20 years and just ignoring it and, and moving forward and not letting that distract me. I get asked a lot actually about um, achieving life balance and one thing that always comes to mind for me is perfect being the enemy of great. If I had to, if I tried to set up the perfect company when I started my business, my budget wouldn't be here today because it certainly wasn't perfect, I made lots of mistakes, learnt from those mistakes, if I tried to be perfect at everything I wouldn't have been very good at at anything, I would actually be driving myself mad. I realise that, um, you know, I'm not the perfect wife, I'm not the perfect mother, I'm not the perfect founder, but I'm actually quite satisfied at being great at those things. Instead of perfection, I'm actually just aiming to be a good all-round human and just trying to be a great mother, a great wife, a great founder, a great entrepreneur and a great leader for my people. Um, I read this saying probably seven or eight years ago now, and I love it. Um, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. We are so busy. Um, we get asked to do a lot of things, you know, can you bake the cupcakes for the school class, can you come and speak at this event or, you know, can you do this or do you want to come to this X, Y, Z. And what I realised that if I'm not going to speak at the Future Women Summit, hell yes, then it should be a no. I should say no if I'm not thinking it's a hell yes. So then when you are saying, yep, it's a, it's a hell yes, go there, show up, sit in the front row, take notes, step forward, care, make a difference, choose happiness, be positive, be enthusiastic, walk the walk, talk the talk, work hard, follow through, take action and grab life with both hands. And I think that when we're saying yes to everything, it's really, really hard to do that and it's really hard to have the motivation to do that. But if it's a hell yes, you're going to be doing that stuff naturally anyway. Prioritising, keep calm and prioritise. We tend to prioritise stuff in our work life, like what are our goals this year? Uh, you know, this is what I have to achieve. These are the top strategic priorities, etc., etc. I really think we have to do the same thing in our personal lives. Let's prioritise what's important for us. Speak to your husband, speak to your kids. What's important for us this year? What do we want to achieve? Um, do I want to spend more time with my kids? Do I want to make sure I at least get to every second, you know, basketball game or football game or every football game? Um, do I want to prioritise my health and well-being? you know? Do I want to make sure that I'm exercising a minimum of three to four times a week, how do I make that happen? What do I need to prioritise to make that happen? So I think getting your priorities in order, not only professionally, but also personally, is really important to have that um, work-life balance. There was a um, study done by Professor Barnett, and um, it was over a long period of time, I think it was 20 plus years, and it found that women who participate in multiple roles actually have lower levels of anxiety and higher levels of mental well-being. So women really do reap the wa- rewards of being employed. Um, they have greater financial security, more stable marriages, better health and increased life satisfaction in general. So how do we promote and support women? Well, what I thought I'd talk to you about today is some of the things that I'm doing within my business and in the community. We put together a diversity and inclusion committee. Um, We have a mentoring program. Um, We put together a a parent's room, like a breastfeeding room. Now this is an unusual story, but uh, it was actually through the diversity and inclusion committee I found out that women at my budget were going into the toilets to express. I was mortified, I didn't breast, I've got three children, I didn't breastfeed them for very long. Uh, They were moved over to the bottle pretty quickly so it just never really dawned on me where do women go to express when they've come back to work and I was horrified at myself. Being a female and not ever realising that here my poor staff are in the toilets expressing, I said no, 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 (laughs) I, I feel like an idiot that this is only dawning on me now but let's build a room, a breastfeeding room where they can go, feel comfortable and express. One of the important things that um, I do at my budget and other women do is talk to the men. Educate the men about how to lead women, about some of the differences between us that you might, they might not always put their hand up. Please look out for those women. Please encourage them to take those those next steps. I think having these conversations at the executive level and saying this is really important to us and these are the things that we need you to do to help support women within this business. In fact, I've been told by um, Dave, who's the other director at my budget, that sometimes he feels like he needs a male support group because we're talking about it so much. But we have to. We actually have to to make it a comfortable environment for our women to grow and and progress. Um, I noticed that some of our leadership roles we weren't getting as many women applying for them, um, so I put a policy in place uh, that we have to interview at least fifty percent women for any kind of leadership role. And let me tell you, it's quite hard in some roles. For example, the CFO role that we're interviewing for right now, um, just to get. Get fifty percent women candidates has been actually a bit of a struggle, but it's a goal that we set because I want to. Doesn't mean necessarily that a female is going to win that role, but I at least want our recruiter and our headhunter to work really hard at finding me fifty percent um, female candidates. Having no pay gap, there is no pay gap at my budget, and I check this every year. There's less than 1%, um, which is something I'm, I'm really proud of, and that's at all roles, exec, all the way down to the, to the front line. Um, I like to reward outcomes and not hours worked, and that's across the board at my budget. No one's clocking your hours, but what we are certainly looking at is the results that you are getting, and by, by providing flexible arrangements for people where they need it, and giving them that that environment to flourish, I think rewarding outcomes has been much better for my business than rewarding the hours that they've worked. So talk about it, be transparent about it, and be transparent that you want to make a change, especially to the men, whether it's your husband or your male counterparts, or um, for me, it's certainly the other males that sit on my management team and my executive team talking about these issues that we're talking about today. If we can succeed in adding more females, voices at the highest levels, we'll expand opportunities and extend fairer treatment to all. And I really think that my budget has found certainly part of our success through our diversity and coupled that with that relentless pursuit to eliminate financial stress in the community and improve the financial health of the world, that has been a combination that has certainly helped me and helped my business get to where it is today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. And remember, that was from one of our live events. And you can become part of the movement by signing up at futurewomen.com. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer, Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson.